You're listening to the Pastor's Hat Podcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Dadeville. Welcome to the Pastor's Hat Podcast. This is episode 11. And I'm your host, Forrest Jones. And I'm Zach Brown, the youth pastor at First Baptist Church, Dadeville, Alabama. And I'm Ben Hayes, the senior pastor. <laughs> the much more mature and distinguished senior pastor. Uh, you might notice today that our compadre, Zach Brown, is not with us. He is at home, currently awaiting some test results for the Rona. So uh, we're praying for him that that will come back negative and we can get him back in here with us. And Zach, when you're listening to that, please know that I did that with the greatest respect and desire to honor you with a tribute today. So Yeah, exactly. Because we can almost feel you here with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. The reason it didn't sound quite as realistic as it could be is because he can't grow that gigantic beard. That's, That's it. That is it. It really changes the resonance of your voice. All right. Well, yesterday we talked about uh, taking back your family. So, uh, Brother Ben, can you give us a rundown of that? Yeah, we've been working the last three Sundays on uh, this this concept of spiritual warfare that so many times we are afraid to to deal with. But uh, the truth is, the Bible tells us that that we are in a battle. And in fact, if uh, you look at the, the New Testament, you find that just about every book in the New Testament deals with uh, the devil, demons. Um, it is it is there. And uh, a lot of people have this idea that, uh, you know, that's just a, a made up uh, being to uh, excuse us for our own shortcomings and our own faults. And while a lot of that is true, we, we do have to understand that we are fighting a spiritual battle and it is evidenced all around us. And uh, we've been dealing with what that looks like, what that means. And Yesterday, what I wanted to, to touch base on was how we can act to protect our families, because that's one of the, the key things that Satan does. He, he gets into our in, into the hearts and, and minds of believers uh, through those little bitty things. But his desire, and, and Jesus told us this, his desire, his purpose was is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And he knows that if he can destroy our families, that he has gone a long way into destroying the church and uh, all that, that goes on around us. So we, we've been focusing on a couple of things. One is that verse in Proverbs 29, verse 18, that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And, and a literal translation of that is where there's no divine revelation, where there's no grasping of what God has, has said to us. The people go unrestrained. They they literally cast off all boundaries. They do what they want to do uh, when they want to do it. There is there are no limitations because they they do not see right and wrong. They do not have a concept of good versus evil. And uh, one of the things that that we have to realize, and we can see this going on in the world around us today, is that when we don't have an understanding of of God's word in in our hearts as as Christian families. Our, our children will be unrestrained. They'll be undisciplined. They'll, they'll do their own thing. And uh, that is one of the sad things that's happening in our society today because uh, we, we see that happening all around us. And I, I based this on uh, the story in 1 Samuel chapter 3 with, with Samuel when he uh, went to live with Eli. His mother, Hannah, 
had uh, made a vow to, to God that if, if he would give her a male child, that she would commit him to the Lord and give him back to, to the Lord. And so when Samuel was old enough, uh, he had been weaned, uh, she took him back to Eli, the high priest. Now, the big issue there is that Eli was a corrupt high priest. And, and if you read the first three chapters of the book of Samuel, you'll see that. You read the rest of the, the first Samuel, you'll see what happens to him because of that. But Eli was a corrupt high priest, and, and it says there in that first verse of chapter 3 that uh, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And, and so right off the top, you see that, that God and Eli, the, the high priest, the supposedly most holy man in, in the entire world, uh, they're not on speaking terms because Eli has uh, uh, given himself over to, to wickedness. And, and because there was no vision in his life, his sons went unrestrained. And the story in chapter 2 shows us that his sons, uh, they were called the sons of Belial, which means uh, they, that they were worthless. They didn't know the Lord. And even though they were serving as priests in the temple, they were using their position for their own personal gain. Uh, typically, when someone would bring a sacrifice to the temple to offer it to, or to the tabernacle to offer it to the Lord, uh, the priest would stick a hook into the pot and whatever part of the meat came out, that would be theirs. Uh, and they would eat that, and that would be part of their um, their uh, subsistence. But uh, these boys decided that they were going to take the best portions of the meat, and they bullied, and they pushed, and they tormented, and and until it got so bad that the people stopped wanting to come to the tabernacle to offer sacrifices. And you go beyond that, down further in chapter two, you see that the the boys were laying with prostitutes, and and Eli knew about it, but he did nothing to to stop them. And because of that wickedness, uh, there was no vision in his life, and there was no vision in, in his home. And, and I think that's what happens even in the lives of, of Christian families, is when when the pa- the parents stop seeking to to understand God's plan, when when we don't uh, hunger to study the Word and 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 to spend time in, in God's presence, then we lose sight of of what it is that God wants us to do and what He wants us to be, and and our children reap the consequences of that. Uh, we see that in in the statistics that uh, are so readily pre- prevalent in our society with uh, teenage rebellion, runaway suicide. Uh, teen pregnancy. And uh, a lot of times we have allowed those things to happen because we are not disciplining our children. We're giving in to them, letting them do whatever they want to. And um, one of the things that that I, I feel like that we as, as parents and grandparents need to do is that we have to catch that vision of what God has for us so that we can uh, know how to raise our children, to train them up in the way that they should go. And uh, I know it's not a very popular thing, but but sometimes we've got to literally set some boundaries. We've got to remove those ungodly influences uh, from our lives and, and from our children's lives. Um, I know everybody likes to watch television. Everybody likes to watch a good movie. But unfortunately, what's happening is we are letting the world feed into our hearts and minds the, the fleshly nature that uh, we're supposed to be putting to death uh, in, in our walk with Christ. We are actually feeding the, the carnality of, of our spiritual selves by watching these things and letting our kids play these video games that uh, glorify rape and uh, murder and drugs and all of these other things. 
And uh, because of that, I think we're headed down a path to where our society is, is, is deteriorating. And, and the Bible says that that responsibility for training our children belongs to the parents. They're the ones who are supposed to train up their children in the ways of the Lord. And if we don't do that, then what's going to happen is our families are going to go wild. Our children are going to be unrestrained. It's going to affect our churches. It's going to affect our nation. And the only hope that we have is to follow God's guidance. And, and that's the key. You know, we've got to take our, our, our minds and our eyes off of uh, these child psychologists, this, this world's self-help books. We've got to stop looking at these uh, so-called gurus who tell us how to raise children and get back to the biblical values that are there because we're trying to raise Christian children. We should base that on biblical principles. And one of the things that, that I love about the Old Testament is that there are so many good principles that we can follow. Uh, Forrest preached about this a couple of months ago in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. And I just want to read this, and, and I'm going to wrap this up. But uh, Moses is writing the, the words of God, and God is telling him, These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. In other words, the laws of the Lord would be in the hearts of the, uh, of the leaders, of the parents. And each parent is to do this. He says in verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And I think basically what he's saying is that we need to immerse ourselves and our families in the Word of God. Uh, we talk about in the New Testament wash, being washed by the, the, the Word. And that's literally what he's talking about here is just letting the Word of God flow over us constantly to cleanse us from the worldly influences that seek to uh, destroy us. And if we, we're going to do that, then, then we need to take seriously the, the command to train our children in the way that they should go. And we've got to take for ourselves the vision that God has for us and then instill it deep into the hearts and minds of our sons and daughters. So that, uh, in a nutshell, is what we're talking about today. Well, there is so much for us to kind of unpack there. Um, you know, I've, I've thought many times in my year that I've been here at First Baptist, or about to be a year, just how grateful I am to be on a staff where the, your pastors are all united in the idea that this is something that we're all passionate about. And, uh, you know, you hear Brother Ben preaching this from the pulpit and, and sharing with us just now. And then, uh, again, as the family pastor, of course, <laughs> this this is exactly what I get excited about. Um, but just that, that we want to see our families just do more, I mean, you know, not do more and be busier, but achieve more in their, their walk with the Lord and the way they raise their children. Um, it used to be that if you said, well, as long as we have a really sh razzmatazz, shiny children's ministry and we can get lots of people here, that that's going to be the sign of our success. That's how we'll know we're doing things well. Um, but my heart, and I think the heart of all of us is, no, what we want to see is we want to see families that are on fire for Jesus, who live their daily life um, different, you know, that, that they make their decisions based on the word of God and how they can best raise their children to honor God. 
that's the things that get us excited. Yeah. And uh, to see our families grow in that is what we want to see happen. You know, Forrest, the the word that that is is there to define this, um, or to delineate this this whole concept, is a word we've used quite often, and and, and we've talked about this so many times. And, and it's the word discipleship. Uh, that's what what this is all about. And and as parents and grandparents, we have to disciple our children. And if we don't do that, then the world is going to to do that. And and instead of them following in our footsteps, they're going to follow in the world's footsteps. And, and that's where it has to begin. It has to begin at home where we are taking seriously this this concept of discipleship. Absolutely. There, and I think the thing there is you know, discipling, you can very quickly realize, is related to discipline. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, we've talked a lot about kind of the ditches we can fall into or the, you know, the different sides of the pendulum as it swings. And some of us have heard you need to raise your kids by the Bible. And you're like, but the only part they caught from that was spare the rod, spoil the child. You know, right. and they they take it as the Bible's only parenting techniques are, our only parenting advice is spank your kids regularly, wake them up in the morning, go ahead and give them a good beating in case they need it or, you know, they're going to earn it anyways. And then other people have taken it and said, well, no, we need to throw out all of the Bible. The Bible's not, you know, it has nothing to say about how we raise our children in this modern society. And, you know, you mentioned yesterday, Dr. Spock and... Um, Live long and prosper. <laughs> I don't think he was a doctor. No, that's right. Yeah, he wasn't. I don't know what educational system they had. And I was trying to think of what planet Spock was from. Vulcan. That's right. Sorry. I apologize. I failed my nerdology 101 today. I should have known that. I've watched enough that I yeah. should have known that. I apologize. Yeah. That's right. Anyways, but Dr. Spot, you, we have this, this influx of um, really kind of humanistic worldview and uh, education that comes into all of society, but especially the church, starting in the 60s and 70s and kind of progressing up. And so you have this idea that, uh, and there are people who, who this is legitimately the way they view their theology. They say, the Bible's good for things about God and faith, but I need all of these kind of secular experts to tell me how to raise my children because the Bible, that's out, out of date and it doesn't really apply. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and one of the things is that it's it's our understanding of the Bible, I think sometimes that that is out of date and and doesn't apply. Um, you know, the Jewish culture was a pretty harsh culture. Um, fathers were almost like gods in in the family. They had uh, the power to to make decisions for their their family, even as adults. And you see that over and over again in in the stories of the patriarchs and Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob's lives. And uh, you know, as long as the father, the head of the clan, was alive, he was the one who was in authority over the the rest of the family. Uh, to the point that if a son or daughter rebelled against uh, his parents then, you know, they could take them down to the city gate and say, hey, this is what my son or daughter has done, and they could have them put to death. Uh, that was that was the law. Um, and, and so we, we take that and we, we throw that in there with the, those verses that you quoted, uh, spare the rods, bull the child. 
And we get this idea that the Bible teaches this harsh discipline that we have to use, uh, but it's really not true. Now, now what we, we see is, is that, that there is a time for discipline, and I really believe that, that, that there's a time for corporal punishment. There are times for other kinds of, of discipline that are there. But the Apostle Paul takes the, the, the Old Testament laws in, in Ephesians chapter 6 when, when he gives us uh, that wonderful passage about uh, uh, parents love your kids and, and kids obey your parents kind of thing. Uh, what, he, what he does is he takes that and he says, look, there's a promise that's been made to every child that will obey their parents. But here's the thing, dads, and, and he focuses on fathers and, and parents. He says, do not exasperate your children. Do not discipline them to the point where they become frustrated and just give up. They throw up their hands and, and, and just say, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And the idea here is that a father is going to nurture and admonish his children. He's going to train them up in the way that they should go by teaching them by his words, teaching them by his example, and sometimes correcting them through counsel or through corporal punishment. Um, my dad was a very strict disciplinarian. And uh, you mentioned something a while ago about uh, waking the kids up and giving them a spanking first thing in the morning because you knew they were going to need it. Well, that was my dad. I mean, there were little, literally times when he took all five of us. He lined us up according to age. I was the youngest, so I was on the end. My brother was the oldest. He was on the other end. And so my brother got uh, 10 swats. My next sister got eight. The next one got six. The next one got four. And I got two, you know. And it was like, None of us knew what it was all about while we were getting those kinds of, of whippings. That does no good because when you discipline a child, they need to understand what they've done wrong and how they can correct it. But we've lost sight of, of what discipline in the Bible was really all about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow, that, that is, I mean, it's sad that it's kind of, um, yeah, I think you're, you're hitting on a, an excellent point in that I think we're looking at this and how it is that we go about discipling a future generation. And we got to realize it's, it's a well-rounded approach because if we teach knowledge and we impart knowledge to another generation, but we don't have this discipline, well, that, that's not a recipe for success. Mm -hmm. But if we have discipline, but we don't teach them the love of the Lord and we don't teach them the things of the Lord, well, then we might have a very well-behaved child um, that unfortunately doesn't know the Lord and maybe even worse, resents yeah. the idea of God as a father. Yeah. You know, that's something that you hear quite frequently in counseling situations and, and or, or dealing with people who kind of have a lot of emotional baggage, the idea that I can't identify with the concept of God the father because my earthly father was abusive or, you know, was such a horrible person that it, it hinders my ability to see God as he truly is. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the thing we got to realize as parents and I, and specifically fathers, because statistically speaking, if the father of the family is on fire for Jesus, it's almost guaranteed that the family will be as well. That's right. Uh, that's you know, right. And that's probably not the most politically correct statement of the day, but it, a mother that loves the Lord uh, with, with everything in her 
is a, that's great. And that's an amazing thing. But statistically speaking, if the father is the one that falls in love with the Lord and gets passionate about it, it will carry the whole family much more than just the mother by herself. Yeah, there, there's actually studies out there that that show that, that if, if dad gets saved and goes to church, then it's like 95% uh, sure that the, the rest of the family is going to follow suit with mom, gets saved and starts going to the church 80%, you know, and, and it's a big, big difference there. But that's because that's the way God designed the family with, mm-hmm. with, with God being the, the head Dad coming in under there as the umbrella and uh, protecting and loving, defending, nurturing the rest of the family and, and going on down from there. Yeah. And I think the thing there is, so we we do need to discipline our children. That's a key ingredient. But we need to disciple our children in that we need to be talking about the things of God with our family. If the only time we talk about God is on Sunday morning, if, if all that we do is we come to church Let's let's remember back. This is going to flashback. Something. Remember back before Corona and we have our everything normal. And if the only thing you do is you get in the car at the end of church on Sunday and you say, what'd you learn in Sunday school? Little Jimmy. And little Jimmy says, we learned about David and Goliath. Well, good. That's a good story. And then the next time your family hears about God is get in the car. We got to get back to church. We're running late. Hurry up are they really going to be learning about God? Are they seeing that in your life? Um, And I think that's something we can be so um, prone to do is we kind of treat church and we treat the, our relationship with God like a book we put on the bookshelf. We put it up there and we'll get it back out on Sunday and then we'll go. Um, But instead what the Bible's telling us to do is this needs to be something that affects our relationship every day. Yeah, I mean, think about it. And, and this is true with, with us as adults. I understand that there are some husbands out there who don't always listen to their wives, right? Now, <laughs> it's not us, but no. there are some husbands who are out there who are like that. By the way, are we recording? Uh, yes. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't get that, the last podcast, we did a great job the first take <laughs> and then had to redo it all. Anyway, Um what was I saying? <laughs> we, we had solved the world's problems in the first take. Yeah. yeah. Computer messed up. We lost it all. That's so. right. So it is. It, there, there's sometimes when, when somebody says something to you, like your wife says something to you. She says, uh, she says uh, oh, yeah, we need some bread. Pick up some bread tomorrow when you're on your way home from work. Now, chances are you're you're thinking about something else, doing something else. You're not really paying that close of attention. Next day comes, you go to work, you come home, you forget that she told you to pick up the bread. Now, if she tells you, hey, hey, look, we need we need some bread tomorrow. Can you pick some up? And you say, oh, yeah, sure, you know, because she makes sure that you've connected. The next morning, she, she reminds you again, say, hey, look, would you uh, remember to pick up some bread today? So, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got it right here on my list. And during the day, she sends you a text, don't forget to, to pick up the bread. Well, by that point, it's, it's in your mind. It's in your heart. You're going to do that. And, and the same thing is true with our kids. If, if we just tell them once in passing and let it go, it's, it's gone right out the window because they're out playing ball. They're, they're riding their bike. They're going swimming. Uh, they're doing the things that are important to them. But if we tell them, when we remind them over and over and over again, and that was the principle that was used in the Bible, rote learning, precept upon precept, repetition, memorization. That was how God prescribed to the, the Jewish people to train up their children, and it works. And, and we as Christians have gotten away from that. We don't do that anymore with Scripture. 
Yeah, and I know in my own life, those times that I've really focused on um, being intentional with my kids about that, like that we're going to make sure that we're talking about the Lord. We're talking, you know, that every day we're having these discussions and it's coming up. Um, it's amazing how much it becomes part of your whole life. You know, at first it takes more work and you've got to kind of make yourself, oh, wait, we're sitting at the dinner table. We should talk about something about Jesus right now. And you may need a book to use or something or um, something to help you be a little more intentional. But it's a habit, just like anything right. else. And you can That's get right. in that habit of thinking about the things of the Lord, talking about the things of the Lord. And that's one of the things that I kind of thought that I wanted to talk about today. Something I've been convicted about as my kids have gotten older and, um, and I'm not going to be, not going to make the statement that so often you're like, well, you just, just you wait, which is the worst statement ever to say to somebody like, just you wait, you'll see how it is. But everybody always tells you like, Oh, your kids are going to grow up so fast. Just you wait, you'll see those years will fly by. But it's true. I mean, and and yep. brother Ben, I know you know your girls are now they've got you grandkids. That's which right. Is a great thing. Yeah. Um. You know, this month, or I guess the end of June and the end of July, my girls both turned fourteen, wow. and this has been kind of a a shock to me because fourteen is like real teenager. Yeah. Thirteen is like oh they they're becoming teenagers. Yeah. Fourteen, that's like the real deal, uh, and just realizing how fast things are going by, right. you know, we're already talking about college decisions and what we're doing to make sure they're on the right track for college and all that. Saying all that to say along the way and, and kind of the way the Lord has, has worked in our lives, I've gotten really convicted about what really matters. Like, and, and this is not me saying I've got this down pat at all, but just thinking about, okay, when you lay things out, What's really going to matter if tomorrow or if, if somebody came to you and said, hey, your house is on fire, you got five minutes to get out the stuff that matters. You know, what are you going to grab? What are the things that really matter? The same way in our lives, what matters? What are the things that we want to pass on to our children that are going to have significance for this life and for the next? Right. Um, and so... That's something I've gotten re I've been really convicted about over the years and and have not always been, but that's something the Lord has really worked on on me, is that idea of like, well, if your kid, um we'll we'll pick on some some things that nobody likes to talk about. Like if your kid gets the greatest academic scholarship on earth, right? They they you they can go to Harvard and that you won't pay a dime. They're going to go to Harvard. They're going to be a Rhodes Scholar. They're going to win the Nobel Prize for science or whatever. But your kid does not know about Jesus. Your kid will be a very successful person on earth that unfortunately is going to spend eternity separated from God. Yeah, and and we we spend an inordinate amount of time uh, it, with our kids trying to make them better people, trying to make sure that they have everything they need to be successful in life. You know, we spend money at the dentist, the orthodontist, the eye doctor. We invest in their education. We, you know, we teach them everything we can because we know that one day they're going to leave home and 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 they're going to go out into the world and we want them to be successful. We want them, them to ride high on 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 the the wave of of success and that carries them into the future. And we focus everything on what, 70, 80 years of life. 
maybe 90 if they're lucky. And we so often forget about the eternity that is out there. And that's what we need to be preparing our kids for is, is for eternity. We need to, not that we need to forget the other, you know, I think it's imperative that, that we train up our children in, in the things that they need to be successful in this world. But the real success is on uh, raising up a child who, who loves God, who loves people, and who is involved in, in doing the work that God has called all of us to do. Yeah, I think that's, that's getting back to redefining what success means. Yeah. You know, if, if our child is fabulously wealthy, you know, famous or whatever, but they don't know about the Lord, is that success? Yeah, yeah it's an earthly success, but if, if we're measuring it the way God measures it, that's not success. Um, yeah, and you even hear statements from parents that say things like, well, I don't want to force my, my faith on my child. I want them to grow up and make their own decision, and I don't want them to, you know, mm. I want them to be able to choose for themselves or whatever. When you apply that to any other area of your life, you would never make that comment. Exactly. Your five-year-old comes up to you and say, hey, dad, can I have a beer? You're not going to give him a beer to drink, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. And, and, and you wouldn't say, like, when your five-year-old um, is like, well, I don't want to go to school anymore. Are you going to be like, okay, you know what? You're right. When you're older, I'll let you choose whether you want to be educated or not. Wait, right. You understand the fact that there is an aspect of this that time is going by and you can't get it back. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. So we don't know what the future is going to hold. That's right. Uh, and that's where that, that kind of illustration of you got five minutes to get the important things out of your house. If we lived our lives constantly evaluating, like, I might die tomorrow. It might not be mm -hmm. the COVID-19. It might be, you know, more, let's be honest, statistically speaking, I'm in much more danger driving home today than I am of, right. of, of COVID. But it has helped us to kind of think of it, I think, yeah. in some ways and, and help us to to get our minds right. You know, looking back at this example of Eli and his sons, again, <laughs> this, is, this is a little commentary here, but the book of, of Samuel is not the New Testament. We kind of get used to the New Testament and reading through it, and it would specifically label things much more. But when you look at Old Testament um, historical narrative, this is just kind of telling you the story. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, they don't actually tell you who are good guys and bad guys. They just tell you the story and assume that you know, based on the teachings of God, that oh, this guy's a good guy, that guy's a bad guy, because you can look at their, you kind of get to make your own decision. Right. To put things in perspective, uh, Eli's sons, it literally just calls them out. It's like, these guys are wicked dudes. Like, that's, I mean, probably about as bad as you get in, in the book of Samuel. They yeah. just label them as they're wicked, worthless men yeah. who are doing these terrible things. Yeah. Um, and so you look at that and say, Eli's got all this power and wealth and he would have been, you know, considered societally the cream of the crop, but his sons are wicked men. And we see in chapter two, yeah, he comes to them is like, it's not good that people are saying these things about you, but that's about the most stinging, uh, you know, criticism he gives them. Yeah. And yet in this story, when we see the Lord speaking, I kind of, and this is interpreting somewhat. I kind of feel like he knows what the what the the message from God is going to be, yeah. Um, because he just flat says, "Like, tell me the truth. Don't hold anything back." You know, I know it's a message from God, but he knows it's coming through this little boy. 
even though he's supposed to be the prophet that's supposed to be hearing from God. You know, the, the, yeah. um, but I just think it's interesting that, you know, it, it just proves he can have the head knowledge, but then in his own family, things went so far off the, the rails, the priorities got messed up and yeah, they had success if the yeah. world looks at it, but not the way God would view success. Yeah, and, and that that brings us back around to to the point where we're we're talking about spiritual warfare, and I know that a lot of people don't like that concept. They 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 freak out when you start talking about angels and demons and and those kinds of things, and they really don't want to get involved in in that kind of of, of situation. Uh, you know, some people say, well, you know, it's just it's just a, a, a means of dealing with our own shortcomings, as I said earlier. But understand something here. The reason that Eli was that way was because undoubtedly at some point in his life, he had allowed the enemy, Satan, to get a stronghold somehow in his life that kept him from being the godly father that imparted to his children what needed to, to be said, what needed to be done. He did not set the example for his kids. And uh, one of the things that, that you read that you kind of read in between the lines is that that Eva, Eli was just a big fat slob that, that didn't do a whole lot. And when he found out that the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen, he falls off of his, his stool and breaks his neck. You know, um, so you see this about Eli, and so you kind of get the feeling. Well, he probably led the way, teaching his kids how to do this with the stealing the the best portions of the meat. But again, I'm, I'm reading between the lines. But here's what happens: he did not set out to be a corrupt high priest. He, he probably that first day when when he went through the ceremony and put on those priestly garments, he did not raise his fist at God and say, God, this is the last time you're going to hear from me. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to lead these people down the wrong path. We're just going to destroy this, this, this whole sacrificial system. He probably did not do that. But something happened along the way, something little, and that's where it always starts, a compromise, uh, a moment of, of arrogance something happens that that the enemy gets a, a just a toehold in our life and and we start dwelling on that and we start thinking about that we exercise that and it grows and it grows and it grows until all of a sudden we are full blown uh stronghold level. The enemy is there. He's built a fortress in our heart. He's having his way with us, and, and we're not doing what we know God wants us to do. Now, <clears throat> understand, as, as Forrest says, that's Old Testament. We're living in New Testament. We're talking about believers. While believers are, are never uh, possessed by, by Satan, understand, just as, as Jesus told Peter, the devil is after you. He's seeking to, 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 to put you through the sieve. He's going to sift you and use every power, everything in his power to destroy you. And that's what we're talking about here. He will get us to start a habit, whatever it might be, and it will grow and grow until it consumes us and separates us, not from our salvation, but separates us from our fellowship with the Father. And, and as believers, we end up most miserable, and that affects our children. It affects our wives, our husbands. It affects our, our families all the way around. And, and you brought up a good point earlier, and I know you, you talked a good bit about it yesterday. Just the idea of what is what are the things that we're really 
meditating on. And, and we might not call it that. We'd say, oh, well, it's, I'm not meditating on these things. They're just the things I, you know, I come home, I turn on the TV and I just veg out and had a rough day at work. So I, yeah, I know this isn't the greatest show, but I can watch it because it's no big deal. I'm just, you know, kind of tuning things out. And, and let me say this, this is true for men, women, everyone. This is yes. not, this is not just, uh, you know, we've talked a lot of before about men and kind of some of the visual aspects of men, but this is true for everyone. I, I was thinking the other day about look at the shows that, that marketing and everything is pushing for women. Um, what are going to be the key ingredients? Drama, conflict, um, deceit. I mean, backbiting. Look yeah. at those, what are the real housewives or even um, some of this junk on TLC or whatever that like, yeah. that's what the, the whole show, they're all based on like how much conflict can you develop between people and build up some drama and all of that stuff. Well, yeah, that, that might not be the same as talking about pornography or some of that, but are those things that are edifying and building you up? Is watching that day in and day out good for your soul? And, and not only is it not edifying and building you up, it is opening you up to compromise. Uh, it is um, indoctrinating you in the ways of the world. And you think about that. You look at what what's happening to the the, the TV industry. And, and uh, a few years ago, uh, you would never see a homosexual couple on a commercial. And then all of a sudden, it starts creeping into the show. And now every commercial has to have a homosexual couple. And and we have grown to to the point where we're compromised, and, and we're accepting of that in our entertainment. And before long, we're going to be accepting that in our spiritual life as well. We're going to compromise the Word of God. It's happened in, in many of the mainline denominations in our, our country, in our world. Uh, it is a, a question uh, when you start looking at it, looking at what's happening uh, even in, in some of our Southern Baptist churches, these things are, are happening. And we've got to be aware of the fact that it is always it always starts with this slow creep. That, that ends up with a full-blown rush into the abyss of, of immorality and unholiness. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, thinking about that, I thought of, uh, you know, because we talked about the idea of like video games and, and some of those things that we're, we're bringing in in our entertainment. Um, you know, you're talking about just now the, the kind of the cultural influence of our, uh, of sinful life that we're seeing personified on television and movies over and over and over. And just that little imprint it's making on yeah. your mind every day. Yeah. Um, it made me think of Philippians 4, 8, and it says, yeah. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And just the idea like, yeah. because it, it Sometimes you can feel like, well, what what should I do? I mean, y'all are saying I shouldn't be watching television. I shouldn't, you know, do any, any entertainment. Well, what I would say is you do need to kind of take a hard look. Yeah. Step back from, well, everyone is doing it. If your reasoning is, well, everybody's doing it and it's just weird not to. Yeah. Reevaluate. Look at, see, say, what really matters? Yeah. You know, and like this says here. Think about the things that are holy, 
glorifying to the Lord? What are the things you want your children to carry on? If they said, if you, you know, if your kids are going to do the exact same thing you do, are you okay with that? Are you, know, is that what you want for them? Or would you rather them be surrounded by the things of the Lord that, that when they leave your house and get married one day, they say, I want a house like my parents where we talked about God all the time, where we were intentional about um, doing family activities together, uh, where my parents would say they were sorry when they messed up. You know, these are the things that, that are so bizarre to our culture because they're not the things of this world. Well, you know, it's, it's the old um, analogy with, with computers, garbage in, garbage out. You know, most people always talk about how their computer messed up. It made a mistake. Well, computers don't make mistakes. Um, computers can only do what we tell them to do at this point. Now, <laughs> understand it's it's all changing. Um, but but what we put in is what comes out of the computer. All right. Now, the same thing is true with our minds. Um, if you don't believe me, just just try an experiment. Okay, try an experiment. If you are a Fox News watcher. Stop watching Fox News for a period of time, six months, and see how your attitude changes. If you're a CNN news watcher, stop watching CNN and see how your attitude changes. Or just switch. If you're a Fox News watcher, start watching CNN for six months, nothing but CNN, and see how your attitude changes. What goes into your mind changes the way you think, changes the way you talk, changes the way you live. Um, I can't stress this enough. Um, Ted Bundy, um, who is the, uh, the, the guy that the, the cannibalistic guy that, uh, was involved in Jeffrey Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yes. Thank you. These guys started out with soft core pornography. All right. They started out with soft core pornography and that, that appetite drove them into harder and more uh, hardcore stuff and until it got to the bizarre stuff until they could no longer survive with just looking at pictures. They went and acted out and did things that, that were beyond the scope of even what they were watching. And, and that's the, the, the proof of what I'm talking about. It is a, a, a process that begins with some little thing that we focus on. We put it into our minds. We put it into our hearts. And ultimately, it comes out in the way that we live our lives. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I know we, we kind of, this is something we, we tend to come back to, but it's just the idea that so many of us, and we have all done it at a time or not, like we we think we can play with sin. Yeah. And we think, well, it's not going to affect me. Nobody will see this. It's just this little thing I'll do. And, and we can justify it because I need, you know, oh, it's really, or I, I'm just... Things are so stressful or whatever it is. And yeah, before you know it, it's going to have you in a place you never thought you'd be. Um, You know, and and we're not preaching to the choir here. Unfortunately, I've known some pastors that were amazing ministers who were very gifted at um, preaching the word who no longer are in the ministry now because of decisions they made that one little step at a time. And then next thing you know, you have a scandal in their church because they, you know, they had an affair or they got found out uh, for some kind of, of sin pattern. Right. And it all starts back with, you know, like you said, I don't think Eli was, was named the high priest. And then he's like, it's about time I can drop this charade. Yeah. I'm done with it. I, you know, and I don't even know 
uh, this would be something we could debate and we really don't have enough time for it. Was Eli saved? Like, was, was he a believer or not? And, and he may have been, we don't know. It's, we know that there was a whole lot of, um, decay yeah. in the, in the spiritual health of Israel at the time and uh, of his family for sure. So no matter what, there was a lot of problems. Um, but part of me wonders, was he a believer or not? You know, and because I've seen plenty of circumstances with people that I sincerely believe are Christians and uh, they've let themselves get to a place that they look at their lives and they can't recognize yeah. any of it, you know. Um, but but the good news, the good news is that as long as there is breath in our bodies, there's hope because God is able to, his grace is is so sufficient and he is able to bring conviction on our hearts and to lead us back into the way that we should go. And, and that's the important thing to, to understand in this, this spiritual fight that we're in. Understand the victory is already won, okay? The, the victory is won through Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. The victory is won. Satan is a defeated foe. But he's working hard to to stop the church from being the uh, salt and light that we're supposed to be. He's working every day to try to destroy our testimony, to destroy our lives, our reputations. But understand <clears throat> that we have the victory because we are in Christ Jesus. It's like in a race. Let's, let's say that, that this is a race between Jesus and the devil. Well, Jesus has already crossed the finish line. He, he won the race. We are in Christ Jesus, so he has carried us across the finish line. The problem is the enemy is there shooting at us, uh, pulling at us, trying to trip us up to keep us from celebrating that victory and experiencing the, the kind of life that comes from being the overcomer. That's why so many Christians live in defeat and discouragement. That's why so many Christians uh, have uh problems with anxiety and depression. And, and yes, please understand, there are times when even believers need to go and get some help with prescription medication because of clinical depression, anxiety. Uh, I know what I'm talking about there because I've dealt with it myself and with other people. There are times when you have to, to do that. But when you have a Christian who for years and years and years is is always negative, always bitter, always critical, always defeated. That's a sign that he has been sifted by Satan and he's failed the test over and over again. Absolutely. I think for some reason the, the illustration that popped to my mind when you're talking um, was of the old like World War II B-17 bombers. And one of the things that if you if you see the stories of those bomber crews that they always talk about was those bombers were so resilient mm -hmm. that they could almost literally be shot to pieces and still make it back to England yeah. and, and recover. And I think about that and just the idea of, um, that we want to be like the SR 71 that's like flying high fast. Nobody could touch you. But so often we settle for the B 17 that lands I and mean, we get across, we, we land, we get there, but it's ugly and yeah. that sucker's, you know, smoking and sputtering and it's got holes all in it. Yeah. And just that idea like that, unfortunately, that's what we, we kind of accept as our, right. as good enough for our spiritual walk is, well, as long as we make it back, 
I guess that's good enough as, as, good illustration. as opposed to what we could have, you know, and that's not to say that there's never going to be trials or tribulations. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Bible tells there's plenty of examples where for whatever reason, it glorifies God that we are going to go through some, some struggles. Um, I don't think all of those are brought on by sinful behavior, yeah. but we definitely make decisions that even though we have the victory, we're not living it. That's right. Yeah. All right. We have gone, even though we've lost one of the three amigos, we seem to have made up for it in our talking. That Well, Zach just really never talks a whole lot in these things. So what they don't realize is he's always telling us to be quiet. Yeah. He's giving us the hand sign yeah. to hush. Yeah. But we don't pay attention. That's to true. It. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to let you pull our. I tell you what, why don't, why don't we give Zach a call and let him ask this question? All right. That's, that's here that. we do. Here, here, let's do that. All right. Here, I'm, I'm, I'm dialing Zach right now. Okay. <laughs> here we go. All right. Hey, Zach, how you doing? I'm okay. Well, Zach, your your voice sounds a little bit funny today. Well, you know, I am sick. Okay, Zach. Well, well, here's the thing. This is which would you rather? All right. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Here we go. Would you rather be cooped up in the ark for 377 days, taking care of animals all day, or lay on your side for 390 days? Wow, that's a tough question. Yeah, Zach, well, well, what do you think? Well, let's let Forrest answer it first. All right, Forrest, (laughs) go ahead. Give it a shot. Uh, (laughs) I I would go with the ark, um, you know, Zach being under the weather, he might be able to speak more to being stuck on your side or laying there around. Um, but I'm thinking I would take the arc because you can at least move around and not laying in one position. Um, I don't know. What do, what do you think, Zach? Well, I don't know. I, I think I would, I would, I, I think I would like to, uh, um, well, I don't know. Brother Ben, what do you think? Well, Zach, I, I think I agree with Forrest. I, I'm going to go with the uh, ark for 377 days. I mean, because, you know, taking care of the animals, not a bad thing. It's it's pretty good. Uh, <clears throat> so what do you think, Zach? Well, I think I'm going to go on the other way just because I don't want to be the same as you guys. <laughs> so I'm going to lay on my side for 390 days. All right, Zach. Well, you know, hope you get to feeling better. Thanks. <laughs> You forgot the part where laying on my side makes me holier than you. Oh, that's true. That's true. Zach, you you forgot that part. So, (laughs) Zach, buddy, we love you. When you listen to this, please don't feel like we're we're making fun of you because we're really concerned about you. And uh, we want you to to feel better and get back with us real soon. Yeah, the stress of being worried about you, that's what's pushed us over the edge. Absolutely. (laughs) All right, well, based on prior conversation with Brother Ben, I might have been told by my boss that I should not ask the question of what's for uh, what we're preaching on this week. But I know one thing, we will be preaching about the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, it it is uh, on the Bible. Um, You know, that's the only book that's worthy of of uh, a sermon behind the pulpit. You're saying that's the book for you? That's the book for me. Are you going to stand alone? On, on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. <laughs> All right. Only well, from a children's ministry. All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, we pray that Zach will be back with us next week. And uh, tune in to see what, what new randomness we have for you. <laughs> All right. God bless. God bless.